Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, September 17th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. You know, the economy is completely out of whack right now. Everything is upside down and backward. I play hockey and I was perusing a goalie forum the other day and several people who ordered custom pads were talking about the wait times. Now, usually it takes about eight weeks or so to get custom goalie pads delivered. Now people are talking about wait times of six months and even longer than that. And then there was the great Gatorade shortage of September 2021. I mean, you couldn't even find certain flavors at all. The sport drink shelves at our local grocery store look like the water shelves during a hurricane watch here in Florida. And I see stuff like this all the time. Odd things just disappear from the shelves. Here's the thing that I don't think a lot of people have really come to grips with. The government has completely broken the economy. And for all the talk of recovery, it is still deeply, deeply damaged. You just have to wonder, when is it going to break down completely? And you know, it's not just shortages of stuff. We have millions of people out of work, and at the same time, we have millions of job openings. We have record housing prices in the midst of a not-so-record economy. Uh, We have investors selling gold when inflation appears to be running hot, and then buying gold when they think inflation is easing. This is completely backward. But this is exactly what happened when the CPI numbers came in just a tad cooler than expected this week. This is what happens when governments and central banks intervene in the economy. You get crazy distortions and misallocations. During the pandemic, they intervene to historic levels. And today, we're seeing historic distortions and misallocations. And quite frankly, I don't think this is going to end well. At any rate, there were a couple of big data releases this week that had a big impact on gold and silver, CPI, and retail sales. So we'll start with CPI since I've already mentioned it. For the first time in nine months, the government CPI data came in under expectations. Prices rose by 0.3% last month. That's just below the 0.4% projection. Year-on-year, CPI was up 5.3%. Core inflation, and that strips out the more volatile food and energy prices, you know, for those of you who don't eat or use any energy. Uh, Core inflation was up 0.1%, and it's up 4% on the year. This news gave the transitory inflation narrative a big boost. See, CPI is starting to come down. And as I mentioned, people bought gold. The yellow metal rebounded back above $1,800 an ounce on the news. Now stop and think about how weird this is. Investors think inflation is easing. It's going to start coming down. So they went out and bought an inflation hedge. Of course, that's because they thought that it might slow down the mythical Federal Reserve quantitative easing taper. And of course, we've talked about this ad nauseum. This shows just how much the economy is depending on federal stimulus, uh, both from the government and the Federal Reserve. Now, 
Let's pause and look at the CPI a little more closely. A 0.3% increase in prices in one month, while under expectation, is still pretty significant. I mean, it doesn't scream inflation is going away. If you annualize 0.3%, that's almost 4% per year. You also have to put the August number in context. If you annualize the year-to-date increase through the first eight months of 2021, CPI will be 6.3%. That's more than triple the Fed's 2% target. So, I don't know. Maybe it's just a little bit early to be writing the eulogy for inflation. Now, this would probably also be a good time to mention that the CPI isn't actually capturing the true extent of rising prices. Yes, I know this is shocking, but a government number isn't really reflecting reality. So I've talked before about how the government tweaked the CPI calculations back in the 1990s in order to hide some of the inflationary pressure. So when you hear 4% inflation today, you have to remember it would have been even higher if they were still calculating CPI in the way that they did in the 1970s. So I think it's fair to say that we're seeing 1970s style inflation now. They've just changed the way it's calculated. On top of that, the way the government calculates housing costs drastically understates rising prices and it skews overall CPI to the downside. Now, housing costs make up one-third of the CPI calculation, so it's a huge chunk of the inflation number. If you've been looking to buy a home or if you've waded into the rental market recently, you know the price of housing has skyrocketed. In fact, my nephew is looking for a place to rent, and I mean, he's basically priced out of the market. Rent of primary residence is the government's estimate of rental cost, and it makes up 7.6% of the overall CPI calculation. It ticked up just 0.3% for the month of August. It has been running a monthly increase of about 0.2% all year. Over the previous 12-month period, it rose a mere 2.1%. That's just slightly above the 1.9% year-over-year increase in prior months. Now, we're talking about rent here. Now, if you've actually searched for a place to rent, you know prices have skyrocketed far more than a couple of percentage points. The data bears this out. Apartment List does a rental index. That index increased by 2.1% from July to August. That's in just one month. Since January 2021, the national median rent has increased by a staggering 13.8%. That's in eight months. To put that into context, rent growth from January to August averaged just 3.6% in the pre-pandemic years uh, between 2017 and 2019. We see this same disconnect between the CPI measure for home ownership and the actual cost of buying a home. Owner's Equivalent Rent of Residences, ORE, is supposed to reflect the cost of home ownership. It contributes nearly 25% to the overall CPI. The increase in owner's equivalent rent inched up just 0.2% on the month and 2.6% year over year. This in no way reflects reality. Peter Schiff has talked about owner's equivalent rent. It's this fake number, and it doesn't tell you anything about how much housing prices are actually increasing. 
According to the National Association of Realtors, the median price of existing homes in the U.S. spiked by 23% year over year. The Case-Shiller Home Price Index tracks the price changes of the same house over time, so it serves as a pretty accurate measure of house price inflation. It has surged by 19% over the last 12 months. Owner's equivalent rent is supposed to reflect the amount of money a homeowner would have to pay in rent to live in the same house. The Bureau of Labor Statistics determines this number using a survey. It asks the homeowners the following question. If someone were to rent your home today, how much do you think it would rent for monthly, unfurnished, and without utilities? It is literally nothing more than the opinion of some homeowners surveyed by government officials. It has virtually no correlation to the actual cost of buying a home. The Bureau of Labor Statistics also calculates rent based on a survey. It asks renters the following question. What is the rental charge to your household for this unit, including any extra charges for garage and parking facilities? The problem with this measure should be pretty obvious. It tells you how much the current renter pays, but it does not reveal how much the landlord would charge a new renter moving in today. The number understates rising rents, especially in periods of sharp increases as we're seeing today. Now, the Bureau of Labor Statistics does try to account for this discrepancy using a complex formula. That's actually what the BLS calls it. It says it is complex. Uh, But the bottom line is both owner's equivalent rent and the actual rent calculation in the CPI are made-up numbers. They are calculated using made-up formulas, plugging in numbers from random surveys taken by government officials. It's no wonder they don't reflect reality. Simply put, we can't trust these numbers. It's a big CPI lie. We all know prices are rising, and they're rising much more than the official government numbers tell us. Keep that in mind when you hear Jerome Powell and other central bankers going on and on and on about transitory inflation. Meanwhile, we also got the producer price data for August. Now, people don't pay nearly as much attention to the PPI as they do the CPI, but it is also an inflation indicator, and it came in hot yet again. In fact, it charted the biggest annual gain in nearly 11 years. The PPI for August rose 0.7% month-on-month. Economists were forecasting a 0.6% rise. This follows on the heels of two straight months with producer prices rising 1%. Year-on-year, producer prices are up 8.3%. The last time we saw a year-on-year increase at this level was in November 2010. Now, of course, mainstream analysts blame supply chain bottlenecks for the continued rise in producer prices. According to an economist quoted by Reuters, quote, supply chain bottlenecks have persisted longer and more intensely than most predicted at the beginning of the year. So, you know, it's transitory, but not as transitory as we thought. And widespread labor shortages are among the main input issues producers are dealing with, end quote. This certainly contributes to the problem. I'm not going to deny that. But the mainstream continues to ignore the bigger driver of inflation, the Federal Reserve. It continues to create inflation at breakneck speed. And by create inflation, I mean print money. Expanding the money supply is the true 
definition of inflation. And despite all of the taper talk, the Fed continues the emergency monetary policy that it initiated at the beginning of the pandemic. Virtually every single week, the Fed balance sheet explodes to a new record level as the central bank pumps billions and billions of dollars into the economy. But the bottom line is whether it is caused by supply chain problems, Fed policy, or some combination of the two, the continued rise in producer prices undercuts this transitory inflation narrative. Now, so far, the CPI has lagged the PPI. Many producers have dragged their feet when it comes to passing on higher costs to their customers. How long will that last? I think a lot of people thought transitory inflation meant prices would come back down. They aren't coming back down. Even if the pace of price increases eases, they aren't going to suddenly start falling. How long will producers eat these costs? That's the big question. This is one of the reasons I'm not sold on the transitory inflation narrative. There are still plenty of price increases to be pulled out of the bag. So that's enough on the CPI. Let's talk a little bit about retail sales. Yesterday, we saw a big sell-off in gold and silver. Uh, We're back down in the 1760s this morning. Why? Retail sales came in way better than expected with a 0.7% increase. The expectation was for a 0.8% decrease. Analysts say back-to-school shopping probably helped push up sales. And if you don't have kids, you may not realize this, but there was another round of stimulus in August with child tax credit payments. And we've seen this song and dance before. In fact, all year. Every time the government hands out money, retail sales spike. Surprise, surprise. You get money, you go spend it. It would be nice if the Americans were actually producing anything. Also, I'm certain that part of the retail sales increase was inflation. Retail sales simply account for how much consumers spent. If they bought the same amount of stuff in August as they did in July, but prices went up, it would show up as an increase in retail sales. You could even theoretically have retail sales rise despite consumers buying less stuff if prices went up enough. So retail sales may actually be flashing another inflation warning. Regardless, the markets took this as another signal that the Fed is going to taper soon. And we had a big sell-off in precious metals, just like every other time the markets have anticipated monetary tightening. And you know what? We may get monetary tightening soon. The Fed may taper soon. It may ease back a little bit on quantitative easing. I don't think it'll stick if they do, but they may do it. But even if they do do it, it's no reason to sell gold. In fact, given that any taper is going to collapse this fake bubble economy, it's going to prick the bubble, it's going to take the wind out of the sails, it's going to crash the stock market, probably still a good reason to buy gold. And now is certainly a good time to buy gold with prices relatively low. Uh, If you're interested, if you want to learn more, if you want to see how precious metals will fit into your personal portfolio, I highly recommend talking to a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist today. You just call 1-888-GOLD-160 or you can shoot an email to info at shiftgold.com. As I've said before, these guys are fantastic and they will look at your investment strategy, your goals, what you're looking to do, and they'll help you see how precious metals can fit into your portfolio. So do that today. It's a great time to do it. So... 
That is a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more. And you can keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shiftgold.com news. Lots of analysis over on the page. I'll link to some of the relevant articles in the show notes page. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap over at iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on the Shift Gold YouTube channel. You'll find links to all of that stuff plus our social media channels on the show notes page. I appreciate you listening to the show and I hope you have a fantastic weekend.